0: This is Song and this is Sarah. This is Effing Ethical, where we try to make sense of all the choices facing consumers every day. And for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about international aid and international development.
1: I thought that a cool way to start would be to talk about what did we grow up knowing? Like what was our lens on this? And you and I probably have some similarities, but also some differences um, in that. So I think that that'll be kind of an interesting, yeah. Like, what did we understand, and then maybe um, what were some key points of of discovery, right? Like the the pulling the film back from your eyes or, or whatever.
0: I feel like it might contextually make more sense if you start. Um, sure, because I feel like mine will be a little bit different than. Like the traditional American listener, perhaps <laughs> the like white American
1: Christian <laughs> perspective. What are you saying that <laughs> I have a consistent perspective? It's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so I mean, this is this is pretty well known if you know us, or I guess we've kind of mentioned this listening to our podcast. But um, I grew up in. evangelical church in kind of a rural area of California, and I think that that context really influenced my perspective. Um, On the one hand, we were really far away from, like, D.C. Like, I didn't really know what international development was. Like, those weren't words that I knew. I knew what aid was. I knew about, like, food aid. Um, but what I really understood was, like, missionaries and missionary work. And there were missionaries that our church supported that did all sorts of things. Um, some of them had just kind of, like, normal jobs, um, kind of embedded in local economies and communities. Um, others worked directly in um, kind of, like, medical services or health care. Others were missionaries that were just connected to like local churches so, like building churches um or or like supporting local pastors and kind of doing pastoral care but yeah like I like I knew this like international development thing was like out there I think I don't know when but most of my growing up until teenage years was just sort of a perspective of like there is this like other world out there that is not as like, fortunate or wealthy as the U.S. or Europe, and it is. I, I think we, I think we sort of thought about it as like it's our obligation, kind of like a moral duty, to be yeah. supporting communities that weren't as wealthy in a myriad of ways, right. um, and I think that at least for probably the first 16-ish years of my life, I didn't really think much more into it. Um, Certainly learned, like, what USAID is, and, like, some of the, like, bigger institutional names, like, all of, like, the UN bodies, but I still just sort of thought about it as, like, Europe and the U.S. were, felt like it was, like, their moral duty, and, I'll talk about my inflection point later. I want to hear about like what your sort of like childhood to like teenage year like perspective was.
0: I think this is such an interesting starting point because I hadn't ever fully reflected on what my ideas about international development was growing up, right? Because like that wasn't a concept to us because We, I mean, we immigrated to the U.S. in 1991 and I was born in Korea at a time when the GDP per capita was like $2,500. And like, I guess just in context at that time, the GDP per capita in the U.S. was $48,000 versus like $2,500 where I was born. Um, And so I was born and spent the first years of my life in a country that was, quote unquote, like would be, have been considered like developing, um, right? And so it wasn't ever a concept that, that we like talked about in any way, like at the family table or, you know, there weren't like TV commercials, like asking for donations to send overseas for aid, right? Like that just wasn't really a part of my life um in like young childhood and then after we immigrated as immigrants life was less about our privilege and it was much more about survival to some extent and of people who've immigrated we've like my family personally we've had both like privileges and disadvantages and I can't imagine what life was like for my parents at that time because, wow, they were younger then than I am now. Um, And with two small children coming from a completely different context with like one family friend and barely making enough for us to have a roof over our heads and to make sure that like the family was fed, you know, international development and aid yeah, those just like concepts were just completely foreign to us, like mm-hmm. thinking back, right? Um, and it's it's interesting because I feel like since then, when my stances on, my stances and my questions around international development changed so many times, like so drastically in, in all of those mm-hmm. years. The idea that we would have had different ideas and, and thoughts and feelings and connections to it growing up was like something that I, I, didn't sit to, sit and think about until you put <laughs> it up, so, um, yeah, it was a cool time of reflection for me, too.
1: Yeah, before I jump into, like, what my sort of transition was, and this is very related, but I think it's, like, a cool, it's, like, a cool, like, crossover point to, like, think about, um, so South Korea had aid in various forms from the U.S. One of those things that some would call aid, others would call foreign policy, was Peace Corps volunteers um, who were active in South Korea. They are not there anymore for loads of reasons, but the crossover point that I thought was really interesting is that this year during COVID, when South Korea was you know, doing really well. There were a lot of precautions. There was enough PPE for everyone. There was this kind of like relationship with people who had been associated with Peace Corps in Korea. So Koreans um, sent PPE over to the U.S. through the volunteers who are obviously a lot older now that they had had this like familial relationship with. Cause like we here in the U S like we were desperate for, for PPE from anywhere. So I just thought that that was this really cool moment of like, like for like one, I mean, the world looks different than it did in 1990 for a lot of countries in a lot of ways. I I think it also just spoke to like something that we're probably going to get to throughout, you know, these various conversations of like, it's really more of, like, what can we as different countries with different strengths do to help each other, right? Like, how do you change the narrative from Eurocentric or North American-centric or American exceptionalist to, like, it, it turns out in this world, it really helps to just, like, have friends in other countries and, like, share wealth or resources and what are like good ways to do that. And I thought that that was just kind of this like little, (laughs) like little interesting example of like where we were and like where we are now. But
0: it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Like every episode we get back to this idea of just like how connected we all are and just like the impacts on one in one part of the globe that impacts you know, a completely different part of the world in a very real and tangible way that's like
1: immediate. Yeah, Um, and actually, and that even specifically Korea kind of like ties into the bulk of like my sort of better understanding, different thinking about stuff. So just like skipping ahead a little, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Senegal. I worked in agriculture from 2012 to 2014. And it was really interesting. There's like a lot of conversations happening right now about the value of Peace Corps. And I, you know, the only commentary that I would add at this point is just whatever your perspective is or how you're thinking about it, just to think about how Aid is very connected to foreign policy, (laughs) like regardless of what country you're from. And I'm gonna talk about that in a second, kind of generally, but like I think that's important to keep in mind with the US. And you can have whatever feelings about that that you want positive, negative, you know, who holds the cards, who holds the power, but like it's just always been true. Um, Different countries do it in different ways, and they try to, different countries try to kind of let go of their power. In different ways, which is kind of interesting. Um, like Northern European countries, for example, like they don't have volunteers on the ground in a lot of countries. Um, they're doing a lot more like donations and investing, but they're certainly like leaning on some of those institutions and structures that other countries have put in place. So you can't quite say that they've like removed that piece, they've just kind of used a different, a different one. But But anyways as far as like my experience um, I think a couple like eye-opening things were one um, the other volunteers in the country that I was serving in so both Korea and Japan have kind of similar programs to Peace Corps it's not exactly the same Um, they have different resources they're kind of structured differently but they do have you know young college educated people as volunteers in countries who are like pretty embedded into communities. They learn local languages. They work with local organizations. Um, It can look pretty similar to Peace Corps depending on the country you're in. And I had no idea. It just was something that like I just never thought about. And I just thought it was so interesting that there were there were korean volunteers in one of the cities that i spent a lot of time in and then there was japanese volunteers in another city that i spent a lot of time in and i personally didn't work with them but i had friends that did and i think that was like a first glimpse of like oh there's other there's other players right yeah. and you can think about it as aid or you can think about it as politics regardless there's there's kind of other players the second kind of piece for me was honestly just seeing like donation money wasted on the ground um so like the way that development projects and and I guess maybe this was something to talk about at the beginning um because I mentioned that I didn't really understand the difference but like there there's kind of international development funds and then there's aid funds right and like I don't know aid to me is pretty clear right like the U.S. (laughs) didn't have enough PPE we needed it If whatever country in the world wanted to send it up to us for free, awesome, right? Like, that's great. Um, Food aid, it's way more complicated than that, but there are places in the world that have horrible famines and droughts that need food coming in from friendly countries to to support that. So that's kind of the, um, the aid side, but as far as the kind of general development side, it's usually focused on like economic development yeah i just saw a lot of waste um and i knew that i had a lot to learn and i've since learned a whole lot and will probably even have trouble kind of deciphering my feelings about all of it as we go to these discussions but i think i was just really amazed to understand the complexity about it and that it doesn't always look like what we think it does right like we and i would say especially americans i know it's true of europeans i'm sure it's true of many other people who who feel good when they donate or when they're part of donating into organizations um, or projects that help people but um, you know some of those funds are going directly into governments to help run their healthcare systems and like that's something that I had no idea about like that is just that doesn't look like one individual person being helped right that is a a system being supported by donor funds Um, On the other hand, I saw, and this is where I saw more kind of waste, was kind of the -the on-the-ground projects you imagine, right? Like, building a well, supporting a garden, that kind of stuff. And, yeah, that just, really, that was, like, my inflection point, was, like, being on the ground, understanding just how much more complicated it was than I thought. Um, Definitely seeing some waste realizing very clearly just the scale and strength of local capacity to run organizations there were, um, really put into perspective some of like the smaller nonprofits that I had heard of growing up, you know, where it was like one person who wanted to like make an impact in a certain country and they like started their own nonprofit. Um, in the international development space we call them my ngos because it's like i can do it better i'm gonna have my own ngos my ngos and yeah I, I think that at that point i for a lot of reasons i was like a little burned out and a little pessimistic but also just like amazed by how it wasn't just this simple like oh there's donors whether it's like the u.s government or an individual donating funds that sort of go to these discrete projects like it is super complicated. And a lot of ways it's like integrated into countries' budgets for things like healthcare, education, that kind of thing.
0: I feel like you have so much more knowledge and expertise in international development. So I almost want to just like frame like my perspectives on this, which is not coming from like the development or aid industry at all, but Definitely, I would say like the the parallels in the experiences, not parallels per se, but the types of experiences where I have been abroad in a semi-professional capacity and like seeing on the ground what it looks like to have partnerships between global NGOs and um, local communities, like the things that you have to be really intentional and thoughtful about, you know the consequences of like not thinking through exactly what impact those those partnerships have on the community. I, when I was in law school, I spent a summer in India working with an organization called IJM. And I, you know, for those of you who know me or who have heard me alluding to my past career, I used to um, do a lot of work on anti-trafficking and forced labor. And when I say anti-trafficking, most people's minds immediately, I think, goes to like sex work and, you know, rescuing young girls from brothels and whatnot. But that's not what anti-trafficking looks like. That's not what the majority of forced labor and, you know, trafficking that happens around the world is. Um, it's a lot more complicated and, and nuanced than that. And, you know, anybody who knows me, like, has heard me talk my my boots off um, about this. But yeah, I, I you know, um, spent a summer in India, again, doing anti-trafficking work, which was a lot Closer to the thing that I just said, it's not right. If I like, in, in all honestly, I I just wanted to go to India, right? And I just wanted to spend my, yeah, my legal summer in in India, and um, it was really eye opening. Like I had, you know, I've like some of the most wonderful friendships of my life out there, and I've like learned so much, and I gained so much from the experience, and and I hope I've also contributed positively to someone's life in some way but but yeah that's like one context the other context i think is as i was working as a lawyer and to the extent that systems are connected across the globe and what that meant for my clients who were coming from all over the globe um, my clients who had family all over the world the The kind of push and pull factors that not that contributed to their decision per se, but contributed to the way things were and why things were the way they were and sort of my reflections and my thoughts on the ground in that way. And then lastly, the work that I'm doing now, building a company that, will have one of its primary markets um, in Sub-Saharan Africa, because it's tackling a disease that is much more prevalent there than it is in other parts of the world. And I've learned so much from my co-founder, who is originally from Ghana, um, and just the perspectives that he brings. And as I've sort of been learning about the way things are funded, how healthcare is funded, right? And, And how yeah, how industry, how like businesses can have an impact, um, what it means to have, you know, these like, quote unquote, business solutions that are homegrown, right? I feel like I'm learning a lot about through this company in a different way as well, where I'm, I'm looking at sort of the other side of it. I hesitate to say, like international development and aid in sort of the traditional sense, right? Because I have no like background in that. I have no yeah expertise in that, but I feel like it's all like kind of a part of the same connected conversation. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it is super connected, right? Like that's why I brought up like foreign policy. I've, I've heard a lot of sort of critiques about various forms of aid and development, um, and I think that they're pretty, they've got a lot of points, um, many, many of which I agree with, but I think that one, one thing you have to remember is, like, like, it's all politics at the end, and, like, like, you know, you can, you can say what you want, and maybe, you know, maybe things will change, right? Like maybe the the, the political incentive in the U.S. and Europe will change, wow. and the way we fund or do quote development will change. Um, but like China is right there, like ready to fund things in a different way. Um, and there's 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 positives and negatives, right? Like so there's. And, and that's political, like it's, you know, there's, there's really good reasons resource-wise that China is interested in, in Africa in particular. And then there's also just, you know, being a world player, right? And, and development, you know, post-World War II era is, is a, is a field where like the quote world leaders, like the major players play. Um, so, so I think it's really interesting. I think like it's literally impossible to, to pull them apart um, or kind of to pull any system, <laughs> any system apart. And I think that the one, the one thing that I would say and this, if you, if you have any experience in, the, in international development at all um, or, or maybe not, maybe you'll, you'll relate to this, but I think that all my work and I mean you can look me, you can look me up in LinkedIn. Like I've been technically working in international development now, like my whole career. But, um, I think that the thing that I constantly come away with, and I might be a bit of a pessimist, but I think it's important is like, there are shitty people everywhere. There are shitty people in the U S government. There are shitty people working in development. There are shitty people, like, on the front lines doing, like, super impactful, like, humanitarian work, like, working directly with refugees, making a very positive impact. Some of those people are shitty. There are shitty people in, like, the countries where you're working in, right? And I think that, at least for me, it's always been really good to sort of take a step back and be like, sometimes people are just going to be shitty, and I have to expect that. Sometimes systems really don't work. And the balance of power or the places where power has been given or taken need to be looked at. And it's always been really helpful to me to just be like looking at both of those things because otherwise I would get very pessimistic and probably come here to this podcast and tell you everyone who's working in development or thinks they're making a social impact is full of shit but I don't actually believe that. I think some of them are, um, but I do think that like looking at the way the systems have been structured and sort of thinking about how things have changed, what works, what doesn't, what are new systems, how can we be creative um, is important, is like really worth thinking about. And we've got a, a friend from business school um, who will be joining us for A couple of episodes in this series um, to talk about that, like to talk about what does it look like from an African perspective, from an investor perspective, Um, like if you're starting to move away from donor money into investments, um, the balance of power is still very much in the hands of U.S. and European investors, but what are the ways that it's changing? And I think that Because of my experience, and maybe a little because of who I am, I could sit here and turn this into like a critique of everything. Um, But I don't, I don't know if that would be useful. And so I think that that's why, like, when I kind of designed the topics for this, I really wanted to focus on what's working, what are opportunities, and how can we think really critically and creatively to do that. Because, yeah, I mean, like I kind of said at the beginning, I mean, like we need friends right? Like there's um there's a a COVID test in Senegal that is being developed that's like, if not the one of the cheapest tests that's been developed, and it's like a rapid, like less than an hour or something test. And that's amazing. Like the whole world could benefit from that, right? And like maybe the U.S. will be the first country to have the vaccine. The whole world needs that, right? So kind of understanding the political motivations that might push, you know, how countries act and how they might hoard or share resources. I think that just realizing we need friends and there's opportunity and there are things that the U.S. has and are good at that can benefit other countries. There's other countries that have resources um, that, that the U.S. would benefit from, and I think it's you know, a cool opportunity for us in this like holiday season instead of <laughs> instead of just letting me sit here and complain for for a month um, to to look at like what are some cool opportunities and and how can we be like positive stakeholders in these institutions and and structures?
0: Yeah, we need friends. We're no longer not no longer, but we should have never been any sort of like you know, leader of the free world, like, that should not, right, like, be a thing where there is some sort of hierarchy. The only reason why certain places of the world need aid in the first place, a lot of it does stem from the meddling that shouldn't have happened in the first place, right? Like, I feel like it's such a complicated thing to pull apart, And I get why right now, right, like to be the most constructive, we should focus on the going forward um, and and what can we learn and, and what are models that are working and like really kind of lean into that. But I yeah, it always makes me a little bit uncomfortable when we jump to the things that are like either bad or good without like completely contextualizing and like reminding ourselves why we're here in the first place. And like to your point, Sarah, about just like the fact that we have so much to learn from others and, you know, as much as the U.S. or european nations have monetary resources to give perhaps um there are so many learnings right of cool things that are happening all around the world that i feel like are going to be important lessons moving forward on how to how to be sustainable not like in some like green way or something right but like literally as i feel like we're on the brink of like the demolition of humanity, or something like, there are lessons <laughs> of right, like how to really like to live the way we were supposed to, right? Like the way that we were supposed to interact with um, with the world and with the surroundings and with people around us in a way mm-hmm. makes life and humanity sustainable. Yeah, um, and yeah, and, and there are models of aid that have worked historically. And I, again, I will only speak to the things that I know anything about, which is for my own country. But the reason aid for Korea worked was, as you mentioned, it's like it's because it made political sense for the US to support at the sustained levels that yeah. they did back in those days. And so rather than saying, so it's like on a meta level, I don't know if we've like talked about the model minority stereotype at all. Um, and that's something, again, that I like won't get into now, but um, like in the US, right, like there's this model minority myth where they use the myth of like, you know, Asians doing well and therefore like racism, and xenophobia isn't a thing, right? And like pitting communities of color against each other towards like this white supremacist agenda. In a nutshell, in the same way, Korea and Taiwan didn't do well with aid because there was like some. It, it wasn't anything other than the the circumstances, right? And like the political motivations behind the aid. And so, I feel like beyond that, right? Like there are absolutely lessons that we. Can take from success stories and from failure stories, and and come up with a more sustainable and good model to to make things better all around with less waste and that are more thoughtful and that um, really have us, all of the stakeholders at heart. Yeah, um, I'm glad you brought up. I mean,
1: and and I think that like I I never worked in Korea. I don't have that particular. Kind of expertise, but you can look at some pretty like simple, hard numbers in history to see kind of the example of what you're talking about, and there's really very few other instances that the u s has provided that scale of financial support in that way in and, and at a time where it did quote like work right um, I think that the counter example that I would give which has like you said, a ton to learn is the amount of money that went into Afghanistan. And there are, <laughs> this is the like, yes, I've worked for the government. So, you know, paid a lot of attention to this stuff. But like, there is this whole, they like created a separate inspector general to like, look at how the US spent money from every agency, right? Whether it was like DODs, so like military or development or commerce or like, whoever was was kind of working in Afghanistan supporting what was supposedly like post-war recovery and and it didn't work and there are a million different reasons and I think that that's also one of the reasons why it's really hard to talk about aid because it's literally so country dependent right like you can spend there's whole doctoral theses that could be written many many about like each different country and you have to think about what is the climate of the country, what was the like colonial history of the country, what resources does the country have, what was the political incentive for European explorers in that country hundreds of years ago, how did that change a hundred years ago, how you know, what interest had Europe and North America in that country 50 years ago? Like all of these things are different for every country in the world and have dramatic impacts on why local institutions are the way they are, why sort of international relationships or support look the way they do. Um, So it is really hard to to talk about kind of a a holistic, like here is our lesson learned, (laughs) like here is what worked, here's what didn't, but I think that it is if you kind of approach it with that like understanding that they're almost that there aren't holistic, here's what works everywhere or here is the reason things are the way they are is like the best way to look at it and say like here's an opportunity to learn why situations are the way they are, and like you said, a huge part of that is like understanding the the history and it's you know it's pretty much always a colonial history and then it's a where were you? in connection to European and North American political and economic interests for the last 50 to 100 years.
0: hmm Yep. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
1: Um,
0: yeah.
1: What's yeah. <laughs> unpacking? Um, really glad that we have some support, some people with different perspectives um, and just like different experiences and understanding to sort of talk to us in the next couple weeks. So hopefully this can be a more holistic discussion and maybe our listeners will have like questions and thoughts. Um, we love hearing from you. Um, we do read our email even if we take a while to respond um and we definitely read instagram messages as well so if
0: you have questions or thoughts like please let us know yeah and thank you for those of you who have left us messages and emailed us and all of those good things because like truly truly uh, it cannot emphasize just how much it encourages us and gives us strength so thank you We'll be continuing this conversation over the next weeks, but looking ahead, we'll be doing a spotlight on our listener series on social media. So please drop us a note if you'd like to be featured. We wouldn't be here had it not been for each of you and your support for us, and we'd love to introduce you to our community.